The amazing thing about being made by an infinitely creative and all-wise God is that he has never made two of the same people in the history of creation, not once. You are completely unique, and that may seem like you're like, yeah, duh. No, but I know you've heard this before, but it's true. No one has ever had your unique set of fingerprints, ever. So think about that. Because you have also been created in the image of God, you are incredibly precious to God and oh so valuable. And don't worry, I am going to pray, but I, have to, I want to say this a little bit first. <laughs> um, you are so precious to God. Um, before he formed you in the womb, he knew you. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. God is speaking to Jeremiah, and he tells him that he wants him to be a prophet. And a prophet is just someone who tells others the things that God has said. And Jeremiah tells the Lord, he says, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. And now many of you here today, we could probably call you a youth. You might be young, but that doesn't mean that you cannot be used mightily by God. The Lord responds and tells Jeremiah, do not say I am only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to deliver you. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth and told him, I have now filled your mouth with my words. Today I am praying God fills my mouth with his words to encourage each of you that you were created by an intimate and personal God who loves and treasures you beyond what you can possibly imagine. I'm praying that you can understand that because you have been created in his image, you are also called, just as Jeremiah was, to serve him and glorify him with your life. You have been chosen for such a time as this to make an impact in your generation for Christ. And most of all, I want us all to walk away today with a greater understanding of our responsibilities as daughters of the King and followers of Jesus. We have been consecrated, set apart from this world, and set apart unto the Lord. So now let's pray. Lord God, we want to just invite you here today. We praise you and thank you for who you are. You are holy, you are so unlike us, and yet you were willing to humble yourself, Jesus, and make yourself like one of us, and live that perfect life that we couldn't live, and die on a cross for us, though you were innocent, and ransom us all, Lord, that, that we can be forgiven, that we can be with you in heaven one day. You've given us such an amazing gift, and I pray today your spirit would help us to understand how we now walk out um, our salvation, Lord, how we, how we should act as your daughters, Lord, in a way that pleases you and glorifies you and how um, you have given us the strength that we need by your spirit to come out of the crowd, to be separate, to be set apart to you and to live a life that glorifies you and points others to you. So may you just add to, take away from anything I've said. I pray only the words are truly from you would stick with these ladies today. And I just ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In the New Living Translation, 2 Corinthians 6.17 reads, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. Maybe this verse is new to some of you, 
God doesn't really beat around the bush here. He tells us we are supposed to be very different from people who don't know God. Our lives are supposed to look different. We aren't supposed to take part in the sinful things they indulge in. We aren't supposed to be in intimate relationships with people that don't know the God of the Bible. Galatians uh, 5.19 through 23 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, um, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You guys have probably heard of the um, Christian company, Not of This World. I know you've seen like the, their symbol on shirts and bumper stickers and stuff. Now, just because, obviously, someone wears a Christian shirt doesn't necessarily mean they're a Christian. Um, Jesus let us know how we would be able to tell true believers. We look at their lives. Jesus was telling a crowd of people how to identify people that say they're Christians, but in reality don't um, really know God, and they may even want to harm God's people. In Matthew 7, 16 through 18, he said, you can identify them by their fruit, that is the way they act. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. By their fruit, that is by the way they act. Sorry, I'm, I'm just uh, getting all lost on my paper here. Um, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And this is Jesus talking to the crowd. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. In John 18.36, Jesus told Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. He also told his disciples, the world will love you as one of its own. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. John 15.19. Great. You're thinking, if I want to follow Jesus, the world is going to hate me. You know, you may or may not experience hate personally, but Jesus was pointing out that the beliefs of the world are not the same as the truth of the Bible. The two are opposed to one another. 1 John 2.15 instructs us, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. We're also told in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God has clearly called us out of this world to live according to his standards and to have our life look so different from the world that others become jealous of, what, of our faith and what we have. 
And as I prayed and thought about this message, I kept thinking about several characters in the Bible who I felt really exemplified the fact that we are created, called, and consecrated to the Lord to come out of the crowd and to be the one-of-a-kind servant God desires each of us to be. I want to talk to you about two different sets of young people in the Bible who made a decision to follow the Lord, knowing that they would stick out like a sore thumb because their life choices were so different from the world around them. Making the decision to follow God and not be one of the crowd was a scary choice for these two sets of young people because in both cases, they had a lot to lose for not just going along with what their culture told them was true and doing things that their culture approved of. Their choice to do things instead in God's way could have cost them their lives. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the book of Esther. Anybody read the book of Esther? Yeah? Yes, most of you have. Awesome. So God's name is not actually mentioned in the book of Esther at all, but he is still all over it. The book of Esther tells the story of Hadassah. That was her Jewish name. She's a young Jewish woman who was adopted by her cousin because she had been orphaned. And she lives in the fortress city of Susa. It was the capital of the Persian Empire. And her Persian name that she was given was Esther. When uh, the Persian king Xerxes, I'm going to kind of just summarize the story so we kind of remember the details. He decides to get rid of his queen for not coming when he summoned her. And so then after a while, he's kind of like, oh, it's kind of boring not having a queen. So he sends out, you know, this... um, edict or whatever, and they they gather up all the beautiful young women of the land, they bring them to the palace, and each of them is going to have a chance to go before the king, he's going to pick the most beautiful one, you know, and um, Esther is brought to the palace along with every other beautiful woman in the land, and um, the king begins his search. Now her, her father figure, her legal guardian, Mordecai, who's really her cousin, he, he advises her to keep her nationality a secret. She was not to tell anyone she was Jewish. And this was a special protection for her because Mordecai was aware that some of the people in, the, in this culture, the Persian culture, did not like the way the Jews, as God's people, had set themselves apart unto the Lord and didn't participate in a lot of the Persian culture's practices. So Esther was wise and she listened to her father figure. Um, God gives Esther favor and we all know she becomes the new queen and then something horrible happens. The king's right-hand man, Haman, he uh, is a very self-absorbed, very proud man and um, he had you know, gotten the king to say, okay, well, whenever you see Haman, you need to bow down to him. And um, Haman gets really irritated because he always sees Mordecai, Esther's cousin, and everyone bows down to the ground, and there's Mordecai, and he's just standing. And um, he believed, Mordecai, that as a Jew, that only God deserved his reverence and his worship. And, but everyone else bowed down to Haman, so this just really rubbed Haman the wrong way. And his solution was not, you know, let's just get rid of Mordecai. It was, you know what, let's kill all the Jews. Um, And that would teach God's people that they had better act like everyone else. So meanwhile, Haman has no idea that the new Queen Esther is really a Jew and and that he is about to be bowing down before her, begging for his life. So Haman sets a day that he's going to, there's going to be a day when all the men in the Persian Empire um, are going to attack the Jews, they're going to destroy them. And so this edict is sent out, and Esther's at home in the palace, and she doesn't know what's going on. So Mordecai tells her what has happened and urges her to go to the king and plead for the lives of her people. Um, 
And he tells her now was the time to let the king know that his wife was Jewish. But there's one problem. The Persians had a law that if anyone came before the king uninvited, they would be immediately put to death. And you were not supposed to come to the king unless you were summoned. So at first, Esther refuses to go explaining that I could, I could die, Mordecai. But Mordecai won't let her get off that easy. And he sends her this message. Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther reconsiders and decides that she will risk her life for her people and for her God, but she has a wise and thoughtful plan, and she tells Mordecai, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night, and I and my female servants will also fast in the same way, and after that I will go to the king, even if it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish." Wow. Talk, talk about being willing to step out of the crowd and be counted as God's child. Esther decided that doing the right thing was worth risking her life. But she also knew that to do such a brave and dangerous thing, she needed strength. And not physical strength, spiritual strength. So what did she do? She asked her friends to fast and pray for her for three days straight to prepare the way for her to enter the king's throne room. Esther didn't stand up and stand out alone. She leaned on others who knew the Lord, and she leaned into God and let him be her strength. We can learn a lot from Esther's example. I know that this is a young women's fellowship, but I also want to mention a few good young men today. Um, I want to talk about Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You probably know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so say those names three times fast. Just kidding. Um, These young men's Hebrew names mean... God is my judge, God has favored, who is like the Lord, as in there's no one like the Lord, and um, the Lord, or the one the Lord helps. When the Israelites were taken into captivity to Babylon, the best and the brightest were captured and taken to King Nebuchadnezzar's palace to serve him. It was their tradition to change the names of those they had captured in order to help begin their journey of assimilating into their new culture. Um, So Daniel's three friends were named after Babylonian gods. But the king didn't realize that these four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were not going to assimilate very easily. They had made a commitment to walk with their God no matter where he took them or what challenges they faced. Remember their names? These young Hebrew men knew that the Lord was their judge, that he had given them favor for their commitment to him, that they knew that there was no one like their God, and that they knew that God would help them if they walked closely with him. King Nebuchadnezzar was a very proud man, and he decided he saw this really large statue in a dream, and he's like, ooh, I should do that. I should build a giant golden statue in the desert, and then I should make everyone come out and bow down and worship it. So he did this, and then he invited all the government officials to attend a dedication ceremony of this grand golden statue, and they were instructed to bow down to the statue and worship it when they heard this special music played. Whoever would not bow down and worship this statue was immediately to be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Now, knowing the deadly consequences for their decision to come out of the crowd of idol worshipers and follow God, Daniel's three friends still chose to stand firm in their faith and not to bow down to the statue. And others saw their choices and they weren't happy. 
they complained to the king and told him that they hadn't bowed down and worshipped the statue like everybody else. And the king gave them another chance to bow. Um, He summoned them, just them, and said, okay, I'm going to give you another chance, but if you don't do this, I'm throwing you in that fiery furnace right there. Um, And many of us, I think at that point, I know probably I, to be honest, would have been tempted to change my mind, knowing a fiery furnace was waiting for me if I didn't. But I think maybe these three men were tempted too, to go back into the crowd and just blend into the culture and do things King Nebuchadnezzar's way. But if they were tempted, they didn't give in. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God gave them strength. There wasn't a way of escape from the fire, which is usually, I think, how we interpret this verse, but there was a way out of temptation. What was it? What did they have to do? They had to go into the fire. He didn't say, he didn't say I'm going to take the fire away. But he said, I'm giving you a way out of the temptation. You don't have to give into it. They could choose not to bow and choose to go into the fire, knowing that if they did, they would instantly be far from the weight of this life and be immediately in the presence of their God. And the king said to them, if you don't worship the statue, you will be immediately thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Such a proud man. And their reply Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as the king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Wow, just wow. These young people, they they seriously got it. They trusted God, and they knew God was powerful and could rescue, but just like Esther, they were willing to do the right thing, even if he didn't rescue them. They made up their minds to trust God with their lives and not compromise in their walks with him. And ultimately, God rescued both Esther and her people and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the enemy of their souls, Satan, who was really the deceiving force behind the evil plans of both Haman and Nebuchadnezzar. And while both of their rescues are nothing short of miraculous, these three young men, they did something that most of us will never do. They were thrown straight into a very hot, fiery furnace, but God supernaturally protected them so that they were not burned and they were not even touched by the fire. Um, When King Nebuchadnezzar looked in the furnace, do you guys remember? How many people did he see? Did he see three guys? He saw four. And he, he said this fourth one, it looks like a son of the gods, which really, the translation, it's like he just, he could tell it was a divine being. It wasn't just a human being. And um, he, King Nebuchadnezzar realized that he was witnessing something miraculous. And he, um, most scholars believe that this is what's called a theophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ um, in, in the Old Testament. Um, actually, I guess he was in his divine nature, so it's not technically a theophany, but it, they think it was Jesus. Um, and anyway, King Nebuchadnezzar um, had them brought out of the fire, because obviously they were not harmed by it, 
and um, they, he got to like inspect them and they didn't even smell like smoke. Not, they, their clothes didn't even smell like it. Nothing had been singed. They weren't touched by it at all. And King Nebuchadnezzar exclaims, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. King Nebuchadnezzar was so astonished by this that he wrote a decree ordering that those who spoke offensively about the Lord, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were to be punished because he recognized that this was something he said, quote, there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Standing up for our faith and coming out of the crowd to stand, sometimes alone, in order to do what's right will get people's attention. And God can use it to get a hold of people's hearts. We saw this in our skit this morning, and we see it in this story. God used Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to cause a proud pagan king to realize the power of the one true God and realize that he is to be feared and reverenced and no one else can deliver like he can. We may not be in a situation right now where we're being forced to bow down to a person or a statue, but I want to ask us all a question, including myself. What are we being tempted to bow down to in our lives right now? Some of you may have started school um, already, or you will soon, and many of us have teachers and classmates and friends, family members, and they don't know Jesus. And they believe in things and they do things that are not true or right, according to the word of God. Are you being tempted to bow down to and accept their beliefs and not challenge them? to bow down to peer pressure to do things that they do that you know aren't right because you shouldn't judge them? What about relationships? 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17 is clear. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, this is kind of our theme verse for today, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. Um, if you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't know the Lord, my niece currently is, unfortunately, the Bible says you are mismatched, you are unequally yoked. And I know that's weird for us today because we're not farm people, but um, think of it like a harness. If you have two different animals and they're like harnessed together and one's trying to go this way and one's trying to go that way, ultimately they're both going to get hurt. Um, that's what's going to happen. I, I like how the New Living Translation makes it clear and simple. Don't team up with unbelievers. Your values are not the same, and you could easily be tempted to bow down to beliefs and actions that are not godly and could lead you away from the Lord. Remember, if we have opened up our hearts and lives to Jesus and invited him to be our Lord and Savior, we've been given a beautiful gift. We are the sanctuary of the living God, 2 Corinthians 6.16. That means Christ lives in us by his Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.7 says, Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. The treasure Paul is referring to is that 
the previous verse shares, God has shown his light in our hearts um, by giving us the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.22 tells us that he has also sealed us and given us the spirit as a down payment in our hearts. And I know if you guys go to this church, you've probably heard Pastor Michael say more than once that that word there for down payment, uh, the idea in the original language is it's like an engagement ring. And I don't know about you, but as a woman, like, I love that. I love that image. God gave us an engagement ring, the Holy Spirit, and it's his commitment to us that he has promised Um, to come back for us. He's returning for us. His promise that we are his and he is committed to us and we need to be committed to him. Um, His spirit is also his presence and his power with us to live a life that pleases him and brings him glory and points others to him. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, but thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. And who is competent for this? Um, But if you go to 2 Corinthians 3, it talks about God has made us competent. God has qualified us to be ministers of the gospel. Um, If we are to be women who point others to Christ and who leave his fragrance everywhere we go, then we need to take what his word says seriously and we need to do what it says. James 1.22 reminds us to be doers and not just hearers of God's word. And James 1.27 reminds us that pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Other versions say keeping yourself unstained by the world. I like how um, Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. He's telling the Corinthians, don't you know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body. And again, um, again, And speaking to the Corinthians, they were really struggling to do things Christ's way. They were really struggling to come out of their old lifestyles and and leave their sin behind. And, And Paul reminds them, he says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. That's um, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Our aim as daughters of the king should be to walk worthy of the Lord and to be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And this isn't a task we should take lightly. Paul compared it with training for a race. And he said, um, you see these people, they discipline their bodies, they work so hard, and, and they're just racing in order to get you know, a medal or trophy or something. And he's like, we need to do the same thing spiritually, but we are, we are racing for an eternal reward. Um, so how much more should we discipline our bodies and our minds and our spirits and be self-controlled? Um, we're not to be lazy about the way we live and the choices that we make. We're to be disciplined and self-controlled, aware of the impact our choices can have on others. Like I think about um, Isabel and how she impacted Annie because she made a choice to take a stand. Um, We also need to be aware of the consequences of our our bad choices. Sin always has consequences. Um, The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. 
I don't want to take for granted um, that everyone in this room knows Jesus as their Lord and their Savior because maybe some of you, um, some of what I've said today has spoken to your heart, but if I asked you, do you know where you would go if you died today, you're not sure if you would go to heaven. Um, but I want you to have that hope. And the choice is yours, and it's, it's very simple. You, you just admit to God that you are a sinner. We all are. We sin every day, and we need a Savior. You simply thank Jesus for dying on the cross to pay for all of your sins and for rising on the third day, defeating death, and proving he was God. You ask him to come into your heart and help you live for him. And the exact words don't really matter. It's the attitude of your heart. If you're asking him humbly, recognizing your sin and that you need him and you're repenting, you're turning away from your sin and you're turning to God, you really genuinely want to become his daughter, he's going to answer you today. And you are going to feel an enormous weight lift off you as he takes away your sin and your shame. And finally, to, I'm sure I'm way over time, to all of the king's daughters that are present here today, I just want to review really quickly by reading 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And by these, uh, by these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. And for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness Sounds like the fruit of the spirit. Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The next time you are tempted to stay a part of the crowd because it's easier, then standing up for your faith, remember, number one, God created you in his image and knows everything about you. There's no one else like you. You are unique. You are treasured. And he loves you more than you can imagine. Number two, he called you to himself. He chose you in Christ Jesus before time began. Three, he has consecrated you, set you apart from the world, and he has a good plan for your life and good works for you to do. For him, you can trust him. Let's be willing to stand up, come out of the crowd, and live lives that are bold for him and point others to him. Like Esther, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, let's be unwilling to bow down to anything that would compromise our walk with the Lord. Anything that is not in line with his word or would stain our witness. Let's be willing to stand up and stand out, even when it's going to cost us dearly as it did these young people. Maybe you will see miracles happen too when you choose to walk with God this way. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for, um, for who you are, for the amazing gift that you gave us when you gave us your word, Lord. Just your love letter to us and how full and rich it is of your truth. You didn't um, ask us to walk with you and, and not give us any instruction. You gave us a wealth of wisdom straight from you. And I thank you for that, God. And I pray for each of these um, precious young ladies here today that you would just be speaking wisdom to their hearts and encouraging them and building them up in their faith through everything they do here today. I pray that words that were from you 
you, um, specifically to their hearts, would just really stick, God, and they would sink in, and that you would give us all strength by the power of your Holy Spirit to live lives that honor you, God, that bring you glory, that please you, that draw others to you because they see what we have and they want it because it's so different from this world, and it's full of the fruit of your Spirit. It's full of love and peace and joy and purpose and all of the things that, that people are desperately searching for in this world and can't find apart from you. So please help us, God. Please anoint us and equip us for whatever um, you have for us, Lord. Um, this school year, we are praying, God, that um, you would make us like those um, precious, bold witnesses that went before us, like Esther, like Daniel. And um, Father, we are thankful that we know we don't have to do this in our own strength, God. That you are our strength. Help us to lean on you and lean into whatever you are calling us to right now, God. And I pray for anyone here who may not know you that they would not be afraid to just cry out in their heart to you and ask you into their hearts, God. And if they make that decision today, I pray that they would talk to someone about it, um, that they can be prayed for, that they can get a Bible, that they can um, just start on this journey of getting to know you better, Lord, and falling in love with you. And I just thank you, Father, for all that you're going to do, and I ask that you just have your way in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.